Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. All right, everybody. Welcome to a very special edition of the State of America podcast. This is one we have honestly been trying to put together for close to a year, and we're finally going to be able to get it out for all of you to hear. As always, I have my good buddy on the other side of the screen here, Mr. Ian Rice. Hello, David. Glad to be here to be doing this very special episode, finally. Yeah, so this is going to be a tribute to Boa. R.C. Garth, as some people knew him, but most of us knew him simply as Bo. I didn't know his name until like three or four years ago when I became friends with him on Facebook. We have several people that we're going to talk to, and they're going to tell their experiences with Boa and just what he did for the Black Crows universe, and more importantly, what a good human being he was. Like I said, I only talked to him on the phone once, but he was more than a gentleman to me and and, and always very polite to me online. Um it's one of the great misses I think we've ever had is that we couldn't get him on here. Yeah, we had invited him on a couple of times, and uh, being a man that seemed to be made of modesty, he really thought that nobody would be interested in what he had to say. And I thought that was I would, such a I would honestly thing. say he's probably the third or fourth most requested guest we've ever had. Yeah, and his you know his time with the band was so valuable, and uh, people would have would have loved to hear from him because they they loved his work, they loved his recordings, they loved that he kept Crow's Base going for so long. And so many people used that site and still continue to use it. And just his contributions to the to the Black Crow's universe were just immeasurable. So what was your first remembrance of Boa? I used to see Boa on the one of the message boards of the time, you know, and he would pop in and release recordings and things like that. And like I kind of first encountered his recordings during Rich's solo period he recorded a couple of things there's still a video of a 2004 show from uh the duck room in missouri that uh exists and that's his recording and you know he just nobody ever had an unkind word to say about the guy and that's what always struck me about him i remember seeing him post i believe on like net and he, he was kind of the guy that would break news a lot of times there would be posts go what's boa saying Does, has anybody heard from boa and it was a while before I knew that he was a guy that was taped and was an archivist. But whenever he he didn't post a lot, but when he posted, he got a lot of bang for his buck because it was usually it was always true, uh, whatever he said. And, um, you know, people kind of gravitated toward whatever he put online. Yeah. And he was just always very gracious with his information. He never got involved in the mudslinging aspect of things. He just was the archivist for the Black Crows for a number of years and. Did it very well and, and also seem seemingly balanced his time as a very responsible family man. Very, very, very much spent uh, a lot of time, you know, with his wife and, and, and daughter. Yeah, we've spoken with numerous people about him on the record and off the record. There's some people that have talked to us off the record that just didn't, I don't think, emotionally were ready to come on here and do this, but spoke glowingly, most importantly, as a person. But then his contributions are just unmatched uh within the community so who we're gonna have this week uh we're gonna have steve hagar he's gonna be on here talking about boa and 
you could tell when when Boa died online that Steve was really kind of shook up by it, you know. And and we've said before, Steve has this online persona, and, and I know he rubs some people the wrong way, but he has been nothing but cool to us. He Steve's a good guy, and, and he was clearly he was clearly upset by Boa's passing. And then we're going to have Mike Beaver. Now Mike goes back a long way with the band. I think he predates Boa. Uh, he talks a lot about how he got involved with the Black Crows and then kind of Boa come into the picture and, and he and Boa obviously were good friends and and stayed in touch. And Mike is part of that old, old guard. And we finally got one of them to come on here. And, and that was a, probably the best reason we could think of to have him on. And then we're going to have Brian Hahn. Now Brian does a lot for CRB and CRB base. And he had a lot of online interaction with Boa and just had nothing but respect for him as a person. And then all the hard work that he put into Crow Space. If, as far as like, if I think about his legacy as an archivist, it's got to, to me, it's Crow's Base because of all, what all he put into it. Obviously, he taped a lot, but he, Crow's Base was a, just a, a labor of love for him. And we've all benefited from Crow's Base. Absolutely. And, you know, when the band would take their breaks from time to time, at, you know, at first he kind of followed the uh, Chris Robinson path a bit more and that was more archived. But, you know, uh, in the years following, he would go back to archiving most of Rich's stuff and all of their one-offs and, and guest spots. And it's a, it's, a, it's a really comprehensive database. I mean, I would put his archiving abilities and his work up there with, you know, some of the Grateful Dead guys who get real deep into it. I mean, it's just so sure. thorough. Yeah, and then finally, we're going to have Steve Gleason on. Uh, Steve has seen over 150 Black Crow shows, and Steve comes on and does Steve's Picks, where we review uh, shows and, and uh, bootlegs. And obviously, we've done some that Boa recorded. And so we wanted Steve on to give uh, basically his opinion on Boa's contribution to the community. Yeah, we've we've kind of set this up as the most fitting tribute that we could put together out of respect for Boa and his legacy and his hard work and everything he's given to all of us as fans of the Black Crows machine that's been chugging along for three decades now. And some folks weren't emotionally ready to come on, but the folks that did really gave us that much more of an insight into the man. And we hope that this will be, after a year's time, a very fitting tribute to him. So Boa, we hope we do right by you. Thank you for the music. Thank you for Crow Space. But more importantly, thank you for being a good human being in a world that needs more people like you. Rest in peace, brother. Well, Brian, first of all, uh, it's nice to actually get to put a, a face to the name and, uh, we want to, we want to thank you for coming on. Obviously we wish this was under different circumstances, but, um, no, this is something you feel strongly about. And, and you and I had spoken on Instagram and really happy that we could actually get you to line up for this. So, uh, first of all, thank you for coming on and, and thank you for coming on to talk about this topic. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. 
it's, it's a pleasure. I love talking about you know music and stuff. And Bo was a cool guy, so um, you know I always enjoy talking to him. There's no reason not to. Well, I guess um, share some memories. I guess to kind of start from the beginning, were, were you a Crows fan from the get go? I was a Crows fan, yeah, from the get go. I remember a friend in high school, and this would have been 1990, had told me. Uh, you got to get this new cassette <laughs> and uh, this, this just came out. So right when the crows came out, um, this friend of mine, you know, handed me a cassette and was like, here, listen, I, I shortly after that was my first crows shows and I'd seen them on the horde tour and a um, bunch of things like that. So um, yeah, right from the beginning, I've been a fan. Now, were you ever interested in taping? Was that something that you got into or interested in? I never in? got into the taping part of it because I never could. I never thought of myself as that technical, or I always knew that there were people who were way far into it that, um, you know, just much more respected and knew the gear and stuff. And uh, so I never really got into it. I got into collecting some of the tapes and stuff, but more of my collecting was done with the Grateful Dead. I didn't even get into, you know, Crow's Live stuff until much later, you know, and that's when I learned about Boa and went on from there so yeah how how did you become associated with uh with the band and and more importantly uh Boa himself okay so it's a long crazy story but started when when chris robinson brotherhood came out you know i had already my wife and i had already been to um we went to a 2000 was it 2003 crows show um down in james island i think it was 2003 anyway down in south carolina here and uh you know, when Chris Robinson Brotherhood came out, just like, oh, well, Chris Robinson's going to be in town. We'll go check him out. And I uh, went down to the Charleston Poor House and it was November 11th, 2011. And I mean, I just fell in love with the band and, you know, had been considering doing some kind of just like web page, fan page thing. And uh, hooked up with a friend of mine that I've been talking to who was also into writing and a big fan of the band. And we used to talk about them all the time. So we started up Ravens Reels Almanac. And uh, one of the things that I had wanted to do, at the, well, anyway, how we get hooked up with the band was through Ravens Reels Almanac and just writing reviews, promoting the band, you know, reaching out to them and stuff. Uh, then I had reached out through, I guess our initial contact was the friend that I had with had uh, cancer at the time. And I had reached out through Dave Lemieux and David Gans had got who, you know, with the Grateful Dead, they put me in touch with Jeff Pincus at Rhino and Jeff then got in touch with the band and we got the band to go meet my friend. And uh, so there's a picture of Neil and Chris with them. And just like ever since then, it was just like there was this connection, you know, we started this little community and stuff and, uh, you know, Ravens Reels kind of grew out of that and to the website, which then, you know, got me into connecting to them and then the band and Boa and everybody else. So and just so keeps going. So you didn't get into this community really until around 2011. Yeah. Is that what I'm hearing? Not into the, not into the uh, CRV, you know, and the hardcore crows community, you know, and until 2011. Yeah. Yeah. So when CRB base was, coming to be obviously there had to be some blessing so to speak from boa is that right well so what yeah and actually cr base is crow's base so i'll tell you how that i, I know i i remember it like it was yesterday so um 
I had tried several times going through like Dave Matthews stuff. We, my friend and I were you know, really big into, I was like, I, I really want to do something like dead bass, but for CRB. And I looked through Dave Matthews and um, fish and all these other sites and then came across crow's bass. And I had heard of it before, but I was like, you know, that's kind of like dead bass. You know, I need an independent one, but I kept looking at it. and was like, I'm just going to reach out to him. And, uh, you know, see if I can buy his code or something like that. And uh, gave me, you know, I got a message back. Hey, this is Boa. I did Crow's Base. Give me a call anytime. So I was on a Boy Scout trip with my son. And I <laughs> Boa sent me a message. and goes, I've got time. Call me. So I called him. And he was in the car, I believe, with his daughter on the way to a baseball game. And we talked about Crow's bass. And I said, I really want to do CR bass. And um, that's really when we hit it off. I was, uh, um, I work in IT and I'm a database programmer. And Bo, he's like, I wrote the whole thing. You know, and he, Bo is diehard Crow, Black Crows. I mean, Bo is, you know, know everything about him. But he had, you know, he liked CRB. And, um, but I think what he told me was, you know, he wasn't tracking it as much as the Black Crows. That was his, Black Crows was his thing. He didn't want to take on more. And he said what he'd do from the database perspective is provide a view, which is basically just another look into Crows base that would be CR base. So um, we worked together and, you know, he was like, all right, well, I'm getting into the baseball game. We'll talk more. And that was it. And then we just reached out and we just kept in contact ever since. Um, but I thought, you know, Man, he took time out of his day with his daughter, but it was cool. I mean, he was just such a down-to-earth guy just to be talking database. I mean, it, he was right out of the same mold that I was. You know, like we're talking computers, IT, databases, baseball, and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, he was he was big into the cards and stuff. We used to talk baseball a bunch. because That's what really got me into databases, not to delve into that story too much more. But when I started... I used to love tracking baseball teams, writing in all the stats into computer baseball programs online and writing simulations and looking at, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, that just grew into the Grateful Dead and then CRB and Black Crows and from there on. So it would seem to be that that Boa really has a, a large hand in, in the in the Black Crows legacy, like a lot yeah. of things wouldn't necessarily be out there if it wasn't for him. And he seemed very yeah. giving of his time to the band. Yeah, he was really giving. For, I mean, it, and one of the things through Raven's Rails, I got to meet a lot of the band and Bo's name came up a whole bunch. And um, especially with him not following the CRB as much, it was interesting because I almost felt like a conduit sometimes. And, and I'm not overstate. I don't want to, you know, claim any kind of more. I feel like I'm like nobody in the, in the community, really, you know, I just like, I'm just some guy. So I need time, you know, some, uh, I'm not trying to overstate anything. So I'm sure there were many conduits between the band and Boa, but when I saw the band, you know, Bo would be like, Hey, you saw him. Like, oh, I saw this song and this one. He's like, Oh, what was Chris doing? And tell Chris, I said, Hey, so I'd go back. So, you know, I mean, you're talking about a worldwide band, you know, the, the Chris is everywhere. And Boa has been with him forever. So, you know, for the for the two days out of a tour that I could, you know, hang with the band or four days or a week, it, it was kind of cool to, you know, hear stories of Boa and stuff like that. But they knew I was doing CR bass 
and um, they knew it was the same. So it kind of just became this whole, okay, yeah, put that in there and do, you know, do this, tell Boa, you know, it was cool. It was cool. But right. he had I, a huge hand in it. He, so he was, I, he I, I am not a computer guy at all. Like you are. Did, would he basically say, here you go, here are the keys to the kingdom and, and do what you want to, or was it like a collaborative process? He, Boa always had the keys to the kingdom, but he would hand them out freely. There are several people who were updating CR base or Crow's base, but yeah, he kind of there. I mean, he wouldn't hand it out to just anybody. No, there was, um, he, I think he knew that I was a little bit insane though, <laughs> and dedicated to, <laughs> uh tracking stuff because he was like here you go here's the root access and stuff like that and he had said you know what uh, there was a virus they got hit with that every set list had a pop-up ad put in it he's like i cleaned it up most of the way but it still left a lot of code behind i went through the entire crow's base and cleaned out every piece of code that was on every set list by hand i'm sure there was an easier way to do it but i just I don't know. I just started enjoying doing that stuff. So then he and I would, you know, trade ideas about, oh, let's do this. And, you know, let's add a new band. Let's do some of Chris's side projects, Greenleaf Rustlers. And, you know, at the time we had, I, he agreed to add circles around the sun in there because Adam had left. Uh, well, you know, and Neil were doing uh, circles outside of CRB. And since Adam had been in the Crows, yeah, so he just kind of you know handed over, and and that's kind of where it is now. I guess it's still now it's now it's the community that's gonna keep it going now that he's not here. Well, if you had to if you had to draw one specific memory or story about Boa, what would it be? There was he knew that I like to do giveaways and stuff. Boa was very supportive of anything that had to do with the music and other people, and and. Uh, he called, you know, like I said, he called, throw stories around and he knew I would do some giveaways and try and raise money to do Ravens reels. Cause it wasn't, nobody makes any money doing that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, I would try and just break even, sell some t-shirts and break even, or just come in at a loss. And uh, he said, I'm going to send you some stuff that, um, so you can, you know, sell it, use it, do something with it, but it'll help you keep the stuff going. Cause he knew, you know, he knew how expensive this stuff was. We talked about that quite a bit. There's all kinds of, nobody thinks about those costs. How can you even run the podcast? Probably people don't think about the cost. There are costs behind these things. And uh, like a week later, a box showed up and it was crows, like vinyl, rare vinyl, um, like bootlegs and stuff, a whole, all a, like the whole CRB vinyl set. I mean, just didn't ask for anything back. Never told me what he was sending, but, um, you know, I, I was just like, holy crap. This was the, I mean, he was already very giving, love talking to him all the time, you know, and like I said, trading stories and stuff like that. And, uh, or talking baseball or talking about jobs and it stuff. We were trying to find, you know, he was looking for a job one time. We're trying to trade jobs and stuff but just to, to get a box of vinyl from boa i mean there's i'll be honest there's some that are just still sitting on the shelf i don't know what to do with them i don't want to give them away now kind of yeah. want to just like kind of treasure them but you know i hadn't even opened them i didn't even listen to them what was yeah. he uh, away from the crow stuff what was he like as a person well and you know it's one of the things on the internet you can be friends with somebody and that whole aspect of stuff and never having met them and i never met boa <laughs> we you never met face to face but it doesn't matter in the world of the internet anymore you know so 
to me, for my experience with him, I mean, he was just a great giving guy and he was really family oriented. Talk to me. We just talked about, you know, I guess, you know, the, the things that when you have an online friendship with somebody, you talk about the things that fill into that space. So we talked about computers and programming databases. He told me about his bulldogs, music and baseball. Cause that was just stuff we are. And he, you know, he would talk, talk about his family. He treasured his family a bunch, but uh, I mean, just good guy. I mean, there's not, not much else to say, you know, regarding that. One of the things that I think just speaks volumes of him, obviously you've been in this world a long time. Like we have the black crows fan base can, you know, like I said on the other day, people complain about how, bad Twitter is. I'm like, if you've been on a black crows message board since 95, you can, this is nothing you can handle it. <laughs> Obviously it's a splintered fan base and and one that a lot of people, you know, catch shrapnel probably when they shouldn't. Nobody's yeah. ever said anything negative about Boa and t- with the group of people we're dealing with and we all love them all, but we all know how we can be to have somebody yeah. that nobody ever said anything negative about at least publicly to me just speaks volumes. Yeah, yeah. I never saw him say anything bad, but he never involved himself from what I saw, too, over the years. Never got involved in any of that stuff. He'd be like, look, everybody can have their opinions. I don't give a shit. But, you know, what people say doesn't affect me. And I think the same thing. I mean, I don't I see people's personal opinions about all kinds of band members. Doesn't affect me. I don't care. I don't want to get involved in any of that crap because really it's kind of just like, you know, I Boa to me was a friend in the aspect of the, all the things that we related on. And I didn't know anything. And I didn't, I don't know his politics. Don't care. I'm not going to judge him on my dad and don't care. But all the stuff that we did agree on, you know, I'm not just saying politics, but anything else about anybody, you don't know. If you don't know somebody, you know, it's just like in the band, Chris gets a lot of flack. How many of those people who are posting online actually know him and hang out with him, you know, on a, daily basis or even once a year or anything where he's not in that scene. Um, you know, probably none of them, but they can all comment on, a, you know, somebody's personality. So I, yeah, the crows message boards, yeah, it's not just crows. I mean, every message board's like that. It's what the internet's for. So you can pair somebody <laughs> a new asshole without, you know, having any repercussion for it. Um, you know, but yeah, I never saw anybody say anything bad about Boa and I still talk to folks about, you know, and they still not say, me you know tell stories or whatever you know are you still doing the database you know Bo is gone like yeah of course we're still got, still got to enter stuff every day so it seems to me that uh, that Bo was a man who who really cherished his privacy in a lot of ways but now that he's no longer with us you know it's important to keep his name out there and his legacy yeah. going if, if there was one thing that you could impart to people about him that you think it's important to know what would it be Bowie didn't gatekeep stuff. And, you know, that's something we talk about, like, in this society now. I see a lot of people like, you can't be a fan. Kids wear a Nirvana shirt to school, and they're like, tell me three Nirvana songs is the big thing. Somebody's wearing a Black Crow shirt. You know, Boa would never go up to somebody I can't imagine. Because I never knew him outside of, you know, my interactions with him, talking with him for an hour on the phone. But I couldn't ever imagine Boa going up to somebody and saying, you know, some kid in a black crow shirt, tell me three black crow songs right now that, you know, like what? <laughs> that wouldn't <laughs> happen. And he wouldn't, he would probably tell that person, you know, go, I see you got a black crow shirt. Whatever you do, go check out this wiser time from this date. 
you know, even if you've never heard that song before, that band, just go check out this thing and you'll be a fan forever. And uh, so he just was always about sharing. And he would tell me that too. You know, I'd be, when I started doing, you know, mixing the CRB live releases, you know, I'd send some to him and he would send me black, back Black Crows mixes and stuff. And uh, it, it, it was just, he, he didn't, and keep on the tapes and try and keep them from anybody or make them do favors for anything or, or, you know, judge their value by, you know, how the ability to name, you know, six Mark Ford solos or something. <laughs> it was, it, it didn't matter. He just wanted everybody to be a fan and, and he facilitated people being fans rather than, you know, having you pay a toll before you, you could be a fan. So I think that's important for everybody because it, it happens so much. You know, even the Grateful Dead. It's like, you weren't alive when Jerry was born. You can't be a real fan. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what were some of his, I guess, for lack of a better word, some of his more favorite CRB songs? Oh, my gosh. For The ones that I remember him liking were a lot of the covers or anything that he had that Chris had previously done with New Earth Mud that he brought forward because Bowen knew some of the new earth mud stuff. And I, I was kind of surprised sometimes when I talked to Boa, how some of the CRB things, he just, Boa was black crows and, you know, he bled black crows. So sometimes I'd be like, Hey, you know, they play, CRB broke out this new song and he'd be, yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. <laughs> so I would send it to him and he'd be like, Oh, that was awesome. But he, he was, Boa was black crows. You know, so, you know, he and, 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 you know, all that stuff, he just, he, he bled that. Well, since um those are the kind of songs you heard him talk about, did Something CRB play 40 days? Time. They did. They did play 40 days. And I remember him asking about like, um, we talked about some of those. Oh, I know one of the other things that, um, what was kind of, I'll tell you what was cool about, um, so through, through my CRB contacts, when COVID hit, I got, um, you know, a lot, nobody could tour anymore. So I'm friends with a bunch of guys who've been through the bands and stuff like that. And um, I do Grateful Dead uh, memorabilia sales and stuff and consignments for some folks associated with the dead. And I had been contacted by some folks associated with the Crows and they were like, hey, I, you know, can't tour, got a bunch of stuff, you know, want to, you know, sell. Can you help me out? So Got, I got a bunch of stuff to sell and some was like new earth mud posters and old black crow tour shirts and stuff like that. And Boa saw some of them and was like, I remember that one. I remember that new earth mud poster. And he would have stories behind some of that stuff, you know, and it would just be like, Oh, I remember being on that tour. Oh, I remember, you know, like oh that, that, I don't know. So it was kind of cool for me to hear the history. I liked the history behind this stuff and he had it. You know, I can't remember anything specific regarding specific stories. Some of the things he'd just say was, oh, that was cool. I remember being on that tour. But then you go back to the pictures of that tour and you'd see like, you know, a young Boa <laughs> with the band, you know, and he'd be like, oh, I taped that one. I remember being in Europe. I'm like, oh, man, so cool. I, I think that's kind of neat. So now I've got all this Black Crows merch that I've still got to, to sell and nobody, you know, I don't have his stories behind them. So that's kind of a loss. In closing, Brian, thank you for coming yeah. on um, to talk about this. We, we really appreciate this. This is going to be, a, a, I think, a good document to remember Boa. Like I hope I, so. I, like I've said before, I only talked to him one time on the phone, but he was extremely gracious to us. And 
he uh, he would always politely decline to come on here. He always said, I don't think anybody wants to hear what I talk about. And I told him, I said, other than the 92, 97 lineup, you're our most requested guest. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so, um, I, you know, he was always very gracious to me. And I spoke with him on the phone one time and he was always willing to help us if, if, if not on air, but behind the scenes, he would, you know, point me in the right I mean, direction or whatever. Why not? Why not? Just, you know, I, I'll talk about stuff, this stuff with anybody. I, I enjoy it. No different than going into a bar and getting a couple beers and talking with the guy next to me. At the All right. So, about it, so. so Brian, thank you for coming on. And yeah. uh, I think we'll segue with a little, uh, 40 days. What do you think? Ian? Okay. Yeah. Sounds good.
All right, Mike, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. I, I don't think there was a way to do a BOA episode without having somebody like you on here. Well, thanks. I'm uh, you know happy to be a part of anything I can do for uh, my brother, my brother, Bo. I know it's such a, I remember the day that it happened. I was driving back from Texas and either Ian or Steve Gleason messaged me. He's like, dude, BOA just died. And I'm like, what? Um, you know, and I think uh, there's a, a woman by the name of Jessica Cole Recco that she's kind of big in like our, our little community. And she posted, I think Amorca has lost its mayor. Yeah. And, uh, I thought that was a fitting, a fitting description of what had happened. Yeah, I would agree. I think I recall seeing that post as well. And, uh, and that kind of summed it up um, pretty succinctly. So let's go back a little bit. You, um, you, you were telling me earlier, like you and your wife ran taller for a while. When did you and Boa first cross paths? Well, um, boy, I'm date myself here. This is back um, in the horde days. <laughs> so, you know, August of 95. And probably like most of us, we remember these dates and we couldn't forget them if we tried. Right. But right. I want to say August 3rd of 95, um, horde was in St. Louis. And my wife and I just happened to sit right behind uh, Boa and his buddy Greg. I don't know if you've met Greg or talked to Greg. He's a long timer, also. Um, and it was just it was just that um, random, you know. We just hit it off, talked pre-show, exchanged uh, info where we were going to be because the tour was then going to Deer Creek, and so we figured out we were both staying at Glowwood uh, Campground, and um, so we actually, my wife and I got there. You know, it was midnight after the gig and we're just walking around one of the campfire loops and uh there were Bo and greg <laughs> next to their fire we're like hey there's those guys so sat down and and literally that's how we met them and then you know quickly fell into um you know we're a lot alike already and uh it was easy to bond over the music and um being on the road and you know how it was back in the back in the day trading tapes and all that kind of stuff so um, that's really where it started, though. Just kind of this innocuous meeting at a gig, like we've met a lot of a lot of people, and for whatever reason, you know, it, it stuck. Now, at this point, was he just taping, or was he actually involved with the band? Not involved with the band. He was just uh, there. He wasn't even recording that show, um, as far as I know. His, maybe his gear was somewhere else with with someone recording for him, but he wasn't recording right from the front. Um, we were both just fans. I mean, you know, if you asked, if, if you could ask either of us how all this kind of happened, um, we still, you know, I still pinch myself and say, I don't know how, how I ended up hanging out with the Black Rose and, and all the friends you meet along that way. But um, neither of us were working for the band at that point. We were just fans. My wife and I, we started working for him 
in 96. So we really, you know, kind of, we might have been 95, but we really started to uh, hang out with them in 96. We came up, you know, we were on the road just with them, right? And, um, you know, like many of us do or did. And, um, you know, we'd hang out with them after the shows, et cetera. Um, this long t- uh, path ended in Vegas, 96, that famous show. And um, at that point, they were like, if you guys can make it out to Europe, you know, we'll take care of the rest. So, <clears throat> of course, we we're going to figure out a way to <laughs> make it to Europe, uh, Becky and I. And we did. And in the interim, we came up with the idea of taking over Taller and then uh, converted that into Taller on the Road for the further festival, which we knew was coming. So we put together this business plan and um, pitched it to them when we were over in Europe in February. Yeah, February. And uh, they said yes. And then, you know, so we immediately started working with them. Fairly short lived at that point, right? Because after further, it was hiatus. And, you know, Becky and I were on our our way to you know move to Atlanta type of thing um, and run taller from there and then the hiatus the H word you know mm-hmm. and I mean we were in a position to put our lives on hold so um, that kind of killed that but um, so as far as working we kind of had taller almost pre internet right and kind of like to think we handed that baton off to Boa who took it into the internet era so. It was a kind of a famous meeting at the um, the Garage shows in 97 in London. Between those two shows um, is when we introduced Boa to the band. Another, you know, seminal day, it turns out when you look back. But um, so it was kind of like a changing of the guard there. And that was kind of our involvement with, with, uh, with Taller, you know, doing the little books and stuff like that. And then we kind of had to duck out. And Boa kind of took it from there after, uh, you know, 98, 99, that type of thing. So did you guys, obviously the Crows weren't touring as much at that point. Did you guys keep in touch when they weren't on tour or was this strictly a friendship built around touring? Uh, well, the beginning of our friendship, you know, revolved around not only touring, but collecting recordings, trading shows. And then him being in St. Louis, uh, us being in Chicago, you know, just a quick drive. Um, so we just fell in quick and, you know, we'd sometimes find other music to go see, um, that type of thing, you know, then, and I mean, you're, you're talking 95 to now that's, you know, that's almost forever. <laughs> right. So later we, we used to go to shows a lot together, you know, kind of the odd thing about our relationship was, you know, I was in the kind of the taller circle but right before he was as opposed to overlapping a lot right so as far as working with the band we you know i preceded him but then our relationship just you know spanned the whole thing um you know my wife and and joy are best of friends and so you know boa spoke at our wedding we go on vacation every year we spend thanksgiving together it's it's that type of thing at this point 20 something years later um, so it's those types of things for how, how amazing, you know, the nineties were meeting the band and, and doing all that stuff. It's, it's these types of friendships that are, are the fruit that really, um, you would never trade. It's priceless. You know, he became kind of the, the most trusted person of that, uh, inner circle, at least amongst the fans, you know, whether it was, you know, the Amorica boards or .net and stuff like that, Yeah, you know, he would post and I felt like he was probably 
being a messenger from the band for for certain things and I mean, as you know, the 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 Black Crows community can be, uh, as I say, we're a loathsome bunch at times. Yeah. That guy, he's kind of like Ed. He never caught any shrapnel. Everybody respected him. Everybody treated him. You know, like when he would make a post giving us some tidbits, it's like, <laughs> oh, that's really cool of Boa you mm-hmm. know, to, to do that. And I, I just, you know, I think that speaks volumes of him. And I, I, I only talked to him on the phone once, but he was super nice to me, super cool to me. Anytime I would message him and need something for this, if there's something he knew, he would tell me, you know, and, but tell us a little bit of what he was like as a person for those of us that only knew him basically through message board posts. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you know, you've already kind of touched on some of the things he's a, a giving person, you know, he kind of felt a responsibility to um, the fan base out there. Um, kind of like you were saying, kind of a conduit between uh, the band and the fans, or at least provide the fans some sort of feeling like they were, you know, one person away from the band that they, you know, love so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so he understood that, uh, you know, he's kind of like the referee of the crazies in a way, like kind of what you were talking about before can get the the underbelly's ugly. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, um, he was able to let that, not be personal for him because he kind of, I can't, you know, he knew what that everybody is really on the same side here. <laughs> right. So he wanted to foster that relationship just because I think as an individual, before he started working with him, he knew it, how it was as a fan to really adore a band. And then, you know, you're at arm's length and then you get a little closer and then, holy cow, you can't believe where you are. And so, you know, this is his way of kind of giving back to the community, even if it's just, you know, an inch at a time, right? It's, it's, you're not on the bus, but you, you kind of feel, you know, part of a smaller community like you should. And he, he was into that, you know, he, he wanted to, to, uh, he wanted that culture to kind of grow. Right. So you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. That a lot of the stuff that he would drop came straight from band or out of conversations he may have had with a band member, uh, or members or management, you know, how can we, deliver a message to our fan base well here's the perfect uh you know kind of ship to do that and you know Boa loved doing it he loved giving back to the community i'm sure if you're in that situation you have to be very diplomatic (laughs) yeah no doubt i mean there's always you know i can remember looking sideways when i'd see people you know that would try and come yeah, Becky and I to you know get passes or this and that type of thing, and um, I understand that it, you know you kind of figure out a way. How can I get close to my band? But uh, you know, he was really just good at at realizing no matter what a person was doing, for the most part, you know they might have uh, chosen a better way to do it, but it was coming from the heart. They were there because they really care about this music and the band, and you know you don't want to alienate someone like that you know, music's such an organic, important thing, such an emotive thing that, you know, you have to respect anybody who's into your music. So why not try to kind of foster a relationship instead of, you know, look at somebody like they're from Mars or something. I mean, that's not productive. So, um, you know, that kind of encompasses Boa. He was, Boa would never, you know, stiff arm anybody so to speak right he'd he'd figure out a way even if someone was not you know even if someone was somewhat abrasive try and figure out a way to maybe give them a break even though they might realize they're getting a break 
but to keep them interested and keep them part of that family. Well, there was countless stories came out when he died of people saying, I couldn't get tickets to the show. Boa gave me his tickets or Boa let me stand with him while he taped and, or he told, you know, I'm with, told the security guards, you know, he's with me and stuff like that. And it just seems to me like he never quit being a fan. And, oh, absolutely. And absolutely. he, like you said, he understood what it was like for the rest of us because he was one of us. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that he never got a big head about that or tried to, you know, big time people, I think speaks a lot about his character. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's there's almost invariably one of two ways when you get access like that. You either go the wrong way, which is you get big headed and you big time people, like you said, where you go the right way. And you realize that you're kind of in this position that a lot of other people really like to be in. <laughs> right? right. And so, you know, what kind of person twists that into I'm better than you? So, you know. Boa, like I like I said earlier, just from being a fan and knowing that perspective to then now being on that other side, you know, you can't look down at that. You you're looking at yourself, right? So, right. you know, you have to uh, kind of embrace that. And uh, I mean, he did he did it perfect to to use that phrase uh, before. You know, the mayor of America, absolutely. It, you know, builds builds a coalition of crazy music fans <laughs> to pull pull in one direction. It's, it's not easy to do. Like I said, it's an emotional thing. When, when he was around the band, did he just treat them like regular people? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, you know, like I'm talking 25 years, right? So like, I mean, the last 15 years plus, it's it's been real comfortable um, being around. Um, yeah. And, you know, he's with them a lot more than I was. Right. Uh, So, you know, it's basically just like you and I are talking now, right? Right. You know, even back in the um, Three Snakes when, you know, it's a Wednesday night in Cleveland or wherever, and you got two hours waiting to load out and nobody's there but you and the band. I mean, those are the types of conversations that, you know, you you build trust. Because I got to imagine being in their position, meaning the band, they're they're pretty wary. Um, Right. So, you know, there's there's it's a small circle of people that they'll trust like that. So, you know, to be in that position, it's um, especially if you like the band. Right. I mean, yeah, you know, plenty of musicians have close friends that their music's OK to them. But I mean, this is kind of fan first. And right. Then meet them. So it's a little different dynamic. Um, but uh, yeah, I just think he Bubba wanted everyone to feel as close as they could to that band. Um Keeping in mind there's obvious limitations and they can't meet everybody, et cetera. Um, right. But he had the patience, patience to do that. Like, you know, long fuse <laughs> on Boa. So, um, well, I have, I have found, I mean, I've become friendly with several, you know, members of the band since doing this podcast. And sure. I have found if you treat them like people, you know, and not like, you know, <clears throat> up on a pedestal, that goes a long way. I mean, I went to, lunch with Johnny Colt in New Orleans a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, we didn't talk about the black crows. We just talked life, you know, right. talked music, but we didn't talk about the black crows. And I was telling somebody that and they were like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, we like, I don't even think the name black crows even came up. Yeah. And um, you know, that that's at times, you know, when I, when I first started kind of getting to know people a little bit at, at times, I'd have to be like, man, I'm, I'm talking to, you know, so-and-so and, but then I was like, you know what? They just want to be treated like people. And if you treat them like people, they're going to treat you like somebody that does not know who they are. 
For sure. I, I totally agree with that. Uh, you know, my experience is, is similar. Um, I mean, the first, my wife and I got extremely lucky. The first time we saw the Crows was um, OD Jubilee show in Chicago at the Metro in 94. And this, you know, I worked at a, a vinyl store, uh, heard through the industry that they were doing the show. And so, of course, we're, you know, waiting in line all day. And just by being down there early, we got these wristbands, right? First 50, you don't know what they're for. Turns out it's a meet and greet, which is, you know, just just the a, a dumb luck. And we literally got the last two wristbands. <laughs> And so, you know, we went down after and met them and for whatever reason, uh, hit it off with them. And, you know, then they came back through on Amorica um, in March and, uh, you know, we saw them again. And that's kind of how we started with them. But at first it was, and this will, Boa would say the same. It is hard to be, it's like, it's like you're seeing a cartoon character in in the flesh in a way like you know because there's such characters because if you've been a big fan you've seen every video everything you know a million times over but you've never been closer than you know as close as you could get in a show right so so that's you got to shake that real quick and i can remember boa um when when we introduced him to the band in, in london and he was like wow and i'm like i know i know you get a little starstruck right and but then you just realize you know He's drinking a Guinness just like you, you know, and and it wears out pretty good. And part of it is because they're such cool dudes that once they're trusting of you, you know, you, you know, once it, it's like the old the old saying, once your friends start giving you shit, you know, your friends. <laughs> right. So. So, yeah, it, it's uh, it, they're they're just like old buddies that, you know, in the last 20 years or so, um, you know, he worked really closely with Chris and Rich extensively. Steve also. So. He's he's pretty close with those people, uh, you know, the last uh, part of his life, for sure. Working together, go through some ups and downs. Right. But, um, you know, you come through that, you're stronger. You know, if if you come through it and you're still friends, it's your relationship is even stronger. So um, he he went through all those, you know, trials and tribulations with the brothers, with the bands, the different bands. You know, he lasted through all that, which um, is another testament to Boa's character. Last man standing. Uh, uh, no doubt about it. No doubt. So, so tell us a funny story, funny boa story. Funny story. See, see, it's hard. To, yeah, I was talking about uh, about this with my wife earlier. I'm like, I don't have my top five boa stories, right? I've been like brothers with this guy for 20, 25 years. Like, you know, I feel like my my road brother's gone, you know. So I'm more kind of uh, wistful and nostalgic about memory memories we've had together. Well, tell us, tell us one then that that would show his character as a giving, caring person. Let me come back to that. Okay. Okay. And even if we'd have to do another call. Okay. Think about it, because you got to understand. There's, there's, it's like asking. It's like if you ask me uh, my f- top five memories with my brother. <laughs> it's like that's a hard memory. Those are hard to come up with because I don't, you don't categorize them. You know what I mean? Well, let's um, let's talk about Crow's Base for a minute. Because yeah. that's going to be that's going to be with his legacy to some extent, and I can spend hours on there. And every time I learn something new, every, <laughs> from most episodes we do anything involving a song, like I'll go on there and like see if there's a little tidbit. Yeah, the amount of time <laughs> that is put into that, oh, yeah. I can I can't imagine. Did you help at all with that? Oh yeah, yeah. When this when that first started going, um, I mean. 
my me and my wife Becky and countless other people, you know, this is back in the email days where you, you know, email somebody an attachment or even snail mail them a hard copy and um just data entry. I I I put hundreds of set lists in there, you know, just typing them up and put them in the template and so did many other people. So um definitely parts of that. Tons of, you know, just talking about what you envision Crow's base to be, what would be cool, you know. Often you just have to hear your ideas out loud. Sometimes you're talking to yourself. You just have to hear it said out loud or just have another person to bounce those ideas off of. I think, you know, one thing Bo and I shared was kind of this unique bond over, you know, we're kind of in in a similar spot at different points, right? I was close uh, closer with the band before he was, was doing taller, kind of like he was. And there's something about falling in with, with the guys from the band and it's hard to describe to somebody kind of what it's like right you know some sometimes people have ideas like oh is it like almost famous and you know that kind of stuff and sure there's moments like that but it's really kind of hard to describe it so like Bo and I really had that kind of you know kind of base level where we understood each other and so we didn't have to kind of articulated to each other right Right. Um, a lot of a lot of shared experiences whether we literally shared them together or we had the same experience just at different times like I he knew what I had gone through and I knew what he was going through like when he could he would talk about some of the you know the angst of being between the brothers and and in the working stuff like I understood what he was talking about so those, those are just little examples but I think that really you know fostered our our bond together you know, and then, as I said, we, you know, watched each other get married, watched each other become fathers, you know, and now we're, you know, our families are still, you know, our second families are still each other's families. He's just not here. So a question on a lot of that stuff on Crow's Base, some of the really, really intricate stuff as far as like the sessions and the different versions and stuff Did he, he had to get that from the band, right? Or is it, or did he go talk to like the producers and the engineers? I mean, because some of it is so intricate. Yeah, no, I think it was mostly from you know people that were there. So mm-hmm. um, small circle, you know, back in those days, you're talking Pete Angelus and Amy Finkel, um, people that were there mm-hmm. and of those things. And then you know, Bo's got hundreds of hours of conversations he's had with Chris and and Rich in particular. Yeah. So. Those guys remember all that stuff. Um, so did he ever talk to producers? I'm sure he did at some point, but I don't know that he's he was seeking people out for that, you know, and we can't ask him. So <laughs> all right, kind of as we wrap this up, what would you what what do you think his legacy outside of Crow Space should be in the Crow's world? I know obviously he was a great person and a caring person, but ultimately his legacy amongst the Crows fans. That's a really tough question. <laughs> that's a tough that's a tough uh you know how do you it's like how do you summarize something you're you're still you know openly hurting through you know what i mean it's Mm -hmm. like it's just like any any close person you lose it's intense at first the loss and then you know you kind of disengage a little bit and then certain things will come back and remind you and kind of hit you like oh shit i can't believe i just can't believe bo's not here (laughs) you know um, so I, I liked the feeling that, that he was kind of like the shepherd 
over you know the, the crows fans and i know that just sounds so cliche and i wish i could put that in a better way but like i really felt like everybody who was at all into the crows knew boa knew who boa was at least knew what crows base was and that was a connection they can connect to boa through crows base and then you know as an extension of that to the band and so you know, he worked really hard at setting that up. And, you know, I, I can't say, you know, back in 97, like that's exactly what the map was, right? right. But, um, at least in the front of his head, right? I think it's always cooking in the back of your head. Right. So I think that's the, the way it ended up with him kind of running the show, keeping people calm, being able to give, you know, take care of people. Like you're saying, you know, I knew Boa gave all kinds of people tickets. You know, we would talk about it. You know, he'd, we'd even, you know, oh, I got this this one person who emailed me and this and that. And, you know, I would always be like, hey, give them tickets, man. You know, they want to be there for the band. You know, you're, you're, you're cultivating, you're growing this thing. So I know that he really enjoyed doing that. And then to your point, for the 50 I knew of, once he passed, there was 500 other you know, people coming out of the woodwork saying, Bo did this, Bo did that. It was staggering how many people I thought came out and and had their little, you know, Boa moment. Because I think we all knew to a certain extent, you know, his role and, uh, you know, um, how he took care of the community. But boy, now it's like, it's like quantified with all these, you know, specific instances coming out. It's, uh, I mean, how powerful is that? You know, like out of this whole tragedy, you know, boy, imagine the smile on his face and the the blush in his cheeks, <laughs> you know, uh, hearing all these beautiful things said about him. And then, you know, and the little kind acts that he uh, put together, you know, to kind of like, you know, a uh, hundred individual acts makes a, you know, a whole big like quilt, so to speak bad mixed metaphor but you know what i'm i'm trying right. to get, you know like it's like the sum of that is greater than what you could think um and it feels good for everybody and you'd hope including boa being gone knowing that that's how um how he touched that many people you know that that's pretty damn powerful i mean i couldn't imagine what a gift that would be to learn that when you were alive but to know that at any point yeah, you know, in existence, that's a pretty powerful thing, I think. So, you know, he he touched a lot of people, and uh, that band should be thanking him for the rest of their days on on this planet. That's for sure. Agreed. Well, Mike, I uh, thank you for giving me a few minutes. Um, we we really needed to have you on to do this. Uh, you were one of the ones that we needed to have on, and um, I'm glad. You know, I, I've had several people just tell me no, said it's too painful to talk about, and so uh, I respect that. And did not didn't dig any further, but let's end on a happy note. Give yes. it, give it, give us one of Boa's favorite songs to play. Oh well, I mean everybody knows Boa's a morning song guy, so I mean any morning song, uh, you know. But but I, I would say the sleeper to that is another roadside tragedy. That was okay. kind of one A. Um, so you know, I, I can still remember, you know, every time that that song would come on, Boa would be up dancing. For sure, um, <laughs> even if nobody around him was dancing. So, um, you know, there's just been so many shows and so many, you know, kind of road adventures that we've had that uh, I've had people, you know, 
people have told us both before you guys should write a book about all this stuff or at least record it and you know it's so bittersweet because you always think oh we'll do that later we'll do right. that later. and you know so now i really think about trying to get some of that stuff down um you know just to just to remember you know some of the good times i had with my friend um so you know i i've had a great time talking with you and, and as you can tell I, I can just ramble on so edit this at will and if you ever want to just do this and and chat man um you know I, i'm up for that too um sometimes i can just kind of go and tell stories <laughs> you know well, that that's exactly that's exactly what we needed and so we're going to play another roadside tragedy
Well, Steve, first of all, thanks for coming on again. Uh, I've told uh, a lot of people uh, having you on two times already was a lot of fun. Uh, getting a hold of you was kind of like uh, finding the Yeti or the Sasquatch because you uh, you hide behind your online persona. But as I tell everybody, you're a good dude. You've always treated us really cool and and uh, with respect, and we always really appreciate that. I just like to scare off the people I wouldn't want to deal with. You know, <laughs> if they still hang around, then they're probably worth talking to. So. <laughs> Well, this is a, a a great occasion to have you on. It's not a great occasion that it happened, but it's uh, it's something that we've been working on really since about August, compiling interviews with people. And, uh, you know, next to, to Boa, when I think about people taping the band and distributing shows, uh, it's your name that pops up the most. So uh, I thought it'd be fitting to have you on and, and just kind of talk a little bit about Boa because um, you, you knew him on a different way than than we did. Yeah, it. I said I early on. I mean, in the '90s, I didn't really know him real well. It seems like if I reach back in the brain, I don't know if I covered this before when we talked before. I don't think, but if I did, we'll repeat this part. But I want to say, went to go see Pearl Jam open for the Stones for two of the four shows in Oakland, and then hopped on a plane and flew to St. Louis to see. You know, you go from Oakland Stadium with sixty thousand people to. A, 300 seat bar with government mule and there's the big mic stand at the uh you know by the soundboard or whatever and went and introduced myself or whatever and i i do remember going and having a steak dinner at two in the morning and some blues guy playing in the corner but i don't think bo was there for that the next night in columbia missouri happened to be my birthday that year november 17th and i know tall taper eric was hanging out backstage and Bo was there and BS with him for a few minutes and then just kind of started it was kind of like a, a gold mine ad in reverse because he didn't really put ads in the back of gold mine which all us tape traders did back in the 90s and uh I just started corresponding with him in the mail and Sharon Crow shows back and forth this that and the other and then of course that was November of 97 Mark had already left the band well then the Crows went back on the road with Audley and I bought tickets, I think, for Super Toads in Des Moines, Iowa, which was an old Sears building that was kind of, <laughs> it was it was sketch. And just watching what the Crows became in that short time frame, I'm like, this isn't the band that I really dug. And then Columbia, the Blue Note, he was there with his mic stand. And he let me patch my deck into his mics. And I went up in the top of the theater and chiefed all night and watched the Crows. And it was a cool set in the sense they did play seven songs off Southern Harmony. They were trying to mix it up. but it was just kind of like speed metal oddly versus Neil Young channels, Dave Gilmore, Mark Ford. And the jams weren't really there. And I had tickets the next night in St. Louis and I, I'm just not going to go. And it was a blessing. Cause I guess it was like 105 degrees in there with no air conditioning <laughs> and uh, missed seeing Boa. Cause that was his hometown. I mean, that would have been the, the plus there, but then I think the final show on that run was a really weird radio festival in Chicago and I wouldn't have gone to that either, except like I think the side stage had Anthrax and Monster Magnet. And then the main stage had, I might be missing one, but Kenny Wayne Shepard, Joe Satriani, Creed, Ramstein, and the Black Crows. That makes sense. That's odd. <laughs> Don't really, and I'm missing one or two others. I mean, it was like the main stage had seven or eight bands. And this, I think Local H was from Chicago. They opened the side stage, Monster Magnet and Anthrax. And, Hung out at the side stage and then went and watched about 45 minutes of the Crows Festival set and said, no, I can't do this. And 
I didn't see him again until like 2008, 2009. But to go back to Bo, we just, you know, kept corresponding through the mail and, and mail and tapes back and forth and stuff like that. I'm uh, pretty sure. I don't know if he was at the 04 Almond Brothers. It was 03 or 04 Almond Brothers, Chris Robinson band and something else. A whole bunch of us went to Colorado for that. And I ate too many mushrooms and the Red Rock security wouldn't let me in. I should have had my sunglasses on. And I think I went and hung out in the parking lot with some dude who looked like Leonardo DiCaprio and drunk a bunch of beer around his fire. Good <laughs> at that time. Don't do mushrooms anymore. But uh and I think 06 at the Riv in Chicago, one of the Halloween Crow shows. I flew out for that to meet a bunch of the people. And again, he let me patch into his deck and I think I uh, that was a, that was another one where I had a little bit too much to drink, and I think that's where the classic where I fell on my head in the Greasy Spoon restaurant with Steve Garza and Sandy and a couple other Crows fans, and I woke up on an ambulance. We quit drinking a couple years after that. So, you know. <laughs> well, you, you talked about Bullet, and you patch into that to your to to his deck. That is one of the things that I think people really appreciate about him. He was not a gatekeeper. He wasn't like, Oh, I have these, I have these shows or I have these boots, you know, and I'm not going to let anybody hear him. He's like, man, let's get them out to as many people as possible. No, he was the most humble giving person I've known pretty much in any tape trading community. I mean, of course I achieved a reputation as a hoarder of sorts, but there's a couple things that I jumped through some hoops to get and sat on those. But yeah, 99.9% of what was out there, you know, he wanted everybody to hear and you can't really ask for much more than that from a, from a band archivist. I mean, I'm sure there are other bands that have archivists. I mean, the guy from the dead, of course, I can't, his name escapes me, Dick's picks or whatever. I'm sure he did a pretty good job of getting stuff out there. And the Almond brothers did pretty good of trying to keep it organic and keep their stuff online, but still keep a community together. But there, I can't think of very many people that were equal to him when it came to that that kind of thing in that regard. Now, when did he start filling that capacity? It's kind of an archivist for the band. Yeah, the the best I can go from oral history and whatnot is before Boa, there was a guy named Chris Keeper, and he, quote unquote, started Crow's Base, but it didn't have the format and the fonts and the cool um, the set lists. Or, it was just more of like some dude who had some computer skills and Put, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that was his name was Chris Keeper. And the funny story I remember hearing about him in 95, which was when I first saw the Crows. And I apparently was at the same show as Chris Keeper, but he followed the Crows the entire 95 tour, taped the shows and was selling the tapes out of the trunk of his car. Again, this is oral history. So by the time he got to L.A., I had tickets for the first two L.A. shows, but not the third one because there was tickets for Page Plant in Oakland, California. And I had to drive to Oakland after the second show to go see Jim and Bob. But apparently Chris was at the first two L.A. shows that I was at. And then the third show never showed up. The tape was missing. And supposedly the band had gotten wind of what he was doing. And for that third L.A. show, they ejected him from the venue and told him he could never come to a Black Crow show again. Whether that's 100% true or not, I don't know. And then Chris kind of disappeared, and I think Boa just kind of picked it up. I don't know if if Mike Beaver knew who, who Chris was or whatever, but somehow in there, 
and then it just kind of started getting added to to a certain extent that's the best that i remember i mean i don't again that's before i even knew who boa was everything back then was kind of pre-internet and whatnot and but i i do i do remember the name chris keeper and he, he that was how he funded his way to go around and go to all the shows was he and he wasn't you know selling them for 50 bucks a pop it was like five ten dollar cassettes so he could have gas money and ticket money for the next show or whatever but that supposedly and nobody ever really heard from chris again and and i want to say probably around 96 97 is when boa took it over i can't say for certain you know for a exact date but that's that's the best that this old brain can remember as far as for what started crow's base and how i mean i I don't know if he even knew Chris. I mean, he must have if he got access to the site that, and then started to upgrade it or whatever. But that's that's the closest I can come to the organic primordial origins of of CB. CB loves you. He seemed to be over the over the years kind of an aloof guy, but yet everybody had a good thing to say about him, and he was such a a big time archivist for the band and did a lot for the fans. But he was kind of did it on the on the low key, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't a chest puffing kind of thing. It was he just he really loved the band. He really loved the music and it it just I can't think of anybody else that could have been better to do it, really, that I've met over the years. I mean, he just he he was a special person for darn sure in in terms of getting the stuff out there and I mean just all the stuff that he did for the band over the years. It, you couldn't even quantify. I mean, uh, I do remember the phone call when he told me he was going down to the storage unit in Atlanta for Chris to pick up the tapes. And that was before any of the live Black Crow shows got released or anything. And he, on his own dime, I'm pretty sure, drove down there with a little mini U-Haul trailer or whatever and loaded up a storage unit and started going through all those dats. And that's where all those live Crows road show, the 96, 97 obviously by 0506 they were you know recording the instant lives or whatever but all those old dats that got released i'm pretty sure came from that that storage unit down in georgia it might not have been a proper but somewhere in that area was he a big gearhead very much so more than me i mean i i never had a mic stand i i was happy with my little jelly bean mics and doing what i could do with that and getting out of the venue three minutes later versus having all those people coming up to me can i get a copy and he he was much better suited for that than me. I, w- I was stealth mode. He was he was full blown. And but he didn't have to have the tallest mic stand or anything like that either. The games some of those guys played when I went to widespread panic shows and stuff. It's like I got mine twenty six feet in the air. It's just like no, don't got to have it that high. Six to eight feet's plenty. Any of uh, your recordings ever make it into the uh, the live Black Crows canon there? I don't think so. Some of us talked about matrixing some of them. Um, I'm lucky in that I want to say the Reno 96 tape is lost. That one never came out as a soundboard. And I happened to be at that show. And for some reason, I was a little too ripped. Like, uh, and I forget. I would always press the pause button to cut out the audience noise in between. And I forgot to press pause to record the encore. But some other guy named Dimitri Big Wheel, who passed away about five years after I met him, he had a mic stand back behind me, like under the thing, and sounded like he had his mics mics in his pants. It wasn't a very good tape, but he did have the encore. So 
at least that show exists. That was like one of the, he looked all over in those boxes for that. And that's like one of the only shows that was missing the one right after Berkeley. Do you know what some of the shows he was the most proud of? I will. I'll, I know if you think about 96, I went to the first seven, which was where that Reno show was from. It was what I think Berkeley, Reno, Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, Salt Lake got canceled because, uh, Slayer played the venue about six weeks earlier and there, there was going to be too much of a police presence at the next, the black crows were playing next and the crows didn't dig the police presence or whatever. So they just said, no, we're not going to play Salt Lake. So that one got canceled completely and like not even rescheduled. Then they went to Denver and Boulder. Uh, My last one was in Boulder. And then he uh, had a Kansas city and St. Louis. And I want to say, is it the Kansas BR five, four, nine was opening. I think I got the last, okay. I got the last BR four, five, nine. Then it was God street wine. And somehow there was like some sort of a jam session with the members of God street wine and the crows after either the St. Louis or Kansas city show. And that was one of his crown jewels. Cause he actually happened to be there and had a tape deck and recorded that. I don't even know if I have it in the collection or not. I mean, he didn't hoard it or anything. He shared it. I'm sure it's on crow's base, but I, I mean, that's, that's an early one that I remember that was pretty cool for him because that was in the formative years when he was forming a relationship with him and stuff like that or whatever. What's your, uh, what's your favorite show that he ever sent you? That would be a tough one. Well, first of all, there's been so many, I mean, you know, over the years there's flash drives and CDs and this, that, and the other. I'm just, I'm, I'm going through the mental Rolodex of all the stuff over the years. I'm trying to think back all that stuff that came out there a few years ago. I mean, I, I know the, one of the last conversations I had with him, I think it was soon after you guys had done your, did your interview with Jeff Dunn. But Jeff had sent him a huge, and it was after everything got sent back to crow to the to the management or whatever. But Jeff Dunn mailed him like sixty or seventy analog cassettes from the High as the Moon tour that were soundboards. Oh. And he did send me a couple of samples of those, and that was one of the last things he was working on. And I think because he received it after what he sent to the headquarters, I don't think that he sent that to him i think but he he did send me a 45 minute sample of tucson and it was pretty back tingling to hear the the highs the moon soundboard that you know nobody else had heard that was one of the always the fun things was you know getting getting first crack at some of that stuff when it broke but it, it you know it was just an mp3 sample or whatever but it uh for sadly, most of that stuff he wasn't planning on ever trying to get released because of the nature of the analog tape and the nature of tape flips and parts of the show missing. You know, you don't you didn't really run into that with Dad so much. But. Well, he was also correct me if I'm wrong, instrumental in us getting to hear a lot of the unreleased stuff, right? Oh yeah, yeah. He well after he went to that storage unit in Atlanta. I mean, I can only imagine some of the stuff that he got to throw in his deck and listen to for the first time. I mean, who knows if there was even, you know, studio stuff in there or whatnot, but yeah, he, he came across quite a few, few nuggets over the years. It just, like I said, for, for Jeff to mail him, you know, something like that 30 years after the fact or pretty close to 30 years after the fact was a pretty amazing thing. Cause it's, I mean, that you, you can, 
I think if you go to Crow's Base and you look at 92, 93 and you see a bunch of stuff that's labeled as soundboard, but you're like, I've never heard that. That's probably one of those tapes because I know that he had started annotating and updating what he had gotten from him. And, you know, I was, I was looking forward to trying to pry a couple of those out of him later on down the line after he'd gone through all of it, but I never got around to. Sounds like Jeff Dunn was sitting on a gold mine down there. Yeah. Well, he, I mean, he just probably figured, you know, who better to give it to than the the guy that knows what to do with it or whatever, you know, he's going to take care of it properly and archive it properly and that kind of thing. So, but yeah, when he did, that was, that was one of the last things that he sent me and that was pretty cool to just be able to throw on the VLC media player and let it play. Cause it, you know, high as the moon soundboards weren't very common. They're out there a couple FM broadcasts and stuff, but that was, that was before there was really any kind of a scene or anything, so to speak. I mean, obviously, you know, bootleggers were bootleggers and people were still taping stuff because, but it wasn't anywhere near the organizational, you know, just the amount of effort he put into the message boards and the fan club. And when people had problems with tickets and all the different stuff that he did over the years for the band is pretty mind boggling to think about. For a band that once the initial, you know, shake your money, maker, Southern harmony, that wave died down. And they, as they said in Spinal Tap, their appeal became more selective. Um, what he did for the band uh, in terms of having those tapes out there and, and embracing the the varied set list and the jams and really spreading that stuff around. I mean, I think it's it was essential to their continued success. And putting together the website design and, I mean, you know, managing a message board and curating all the different stuff over the years and whatnot. And, yeah, he... He was a rare sort in that regard because, I mean, he he devoted a, a great portion of his time to, to, to doing the best that he could, and he did a pretty damn good job at it. So kind of in closing, give us a story about Boa the Man, not the taper, but Boa the Man. Well, I only met him probably, you know, in terms of hanging out with him in the same same room less than 10 times. So I don't know if I have a fantastic, fantastic story I can pull out. I mean... I do remember going to Memphis in 2012 and just being at CRB and him and Joy and Sophie and just seeing him happy outside in the sunshine doing his thing, which pretty much sums him up. You know, he uh, the amount of giving that he did was insane in terms of time and tapes and his his knowledge and expertise and getting getting tapers in the door. I can't imagine how many how many people on taper section were. Trying to, I shouldn't say crying, but you know, Boa Boa, I want to get into tape, or they won't let me get in. And the last minute stuff that he did to make sure that mic stand or that deck or whatever got into the venue. You know, that's probably a lot of extra shows out there that wouldn't be out there if he didn't do that. And there aren't really many people that were in the position to do that. <laughs> my uh, my favorite thing that was said about him after he died was Amorca has lost its mayor. And, uh, I think that was very, uh, that was very true. He was a positive light amongst a fan base, as you so very well know, can be very cynical and self-loathing and, 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 and biting towards one another. And he, uh, he never got down in the dirt. No, he, uh, he definitely stayed and stayed above the fray when it came to that kind of thing. You know, he's just, uh, going to miss calling him once or twice a year and having those talks. Cause we'd, you know, it wasn't always just about the crows. There's sometimes I'd call him and have a 20 minute conversation. We wouldn't even say one thing about the crows. 
just be like, you know, how's the fam doing and got any other shows coming up and what's going on. You know, that's, that's what friends are. You know, it wasn't just the crows. He was also a friend in that regard. You know, anytime I was in St. Louis, come by, have dinner, crash, stay the night kind of guy. Well, Steve, uh, as always, we, uh, we value your friendship and we love it when you come on. And like I said, you've always been nothing, but, but nice and, and cool to us, but, uh, it means a lot to us that you came on for this one. And, uh, I think, uh, Bo would have been happy that you came on. Steve, so we decided to have you on, first of all, because you've seen the Crows or Crows-related projects over 150 times, but also you have a Rain Man-type memory of shows, songs played, dates, and I think one of those reasons is because of a lot of shows that you got from Boa. So, first of all, when's the first time you heard of Boa and, and, and ran across him? Uh, not long after I got on the internet. You know, when it, <laughs> not when, you know, before time when the internet first came out, but I, I don't know. I think I got my first uh, PC uh, email address, all that stuff in like beginning in 99, maybe 98, and uh, was thrilled to see there was some Black Crows related stuff. Got on uh, Black Crows Net and was like a real active member of that community. For a little while, but I didn't. I didn't even know there was a, a tape trading network. I had bought some bootlegs at like a local record store and paid like you know fifty bucks for for a show, and was like, oh my god, this is the greatest thing ever. But you know, like those were few and far between. And uh, yeah, that 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 dude set me up, um, gave me the further festival, uh, the Atlanta one. I think it's six twenty two ninety seven. That's a soundboard. It's beautiful, wonderful old sister. Great, you know, happy ending. It's a great, great show. He gave me uh, San Antonio, uh, Johnny's birthday, May 1st on the on the Amorica tour. And what was the other one? I kind of forget what the other one was, but he lined me up with, with three shows right away so I could get in the in the tape trading kind of kind of network and start with the B and P's and sending stuff back and forth. But kind of explained to me how it worked and and that kind of thing and you know i you know my memories of that dude are definitely a moderator who spoke with uh you know authority but not but he wasn't authoritative in any way shape or form he was but never a gatekeeper spoke, no man but still spoke when he spoke he spoke from a position of understanding who what when where and understood how everything worked and you know, I think everybody, uh, at least in my opinion, took their cues from that guy about the community and all that uh, when always, especially on, on that board anyways. What was your favorite show he sent you? Definitely that Atlanta show is is ridiculous. That Atlanta soundboard show, if people aren't familiar with it, it's at the beginning of the Further Festival and it's got a knockout sunflower 
Um, it's just a great show. And uh, those those things were, were really hard to get at the time. I mean, you know, beginning of the Internet, you didn't know everything on Earth had been recorded, <laughs> you know, and, and you could get anything. Um, it's one of those things. And, yeah, I was just really happy. And, uh, yeah, and he, he he set all that up. And I would say, you know, because of that, I can tell you the number of people I've brought to shows, talked about shows, given shows to, or any of those kind of things, or been connected to through the community up until you guys and, and after, and playing in the Americans and all those things. I think they all are kind of a wellspring out of out of Boa's commitment to the community. That's well, the way I see it. What percentage of the shows that you have do you think originated from him at some point? Originated from him? Mm-hmm. Shit, probably. Uh, I don't know. You have uh, Scott Weber up here in Boston, taped a ton of shows. Hagar taped a bunch of shows. Uh, and yeah, I think Boa distributed a, a ton of them. Uh, I don't know, 80% at least. Something do you, like that. Do you think, other than just being a phenomenal human being, his legacy with the Black Crows is Crow's base? Yeah, I, 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 I think. Um, being the archivist he was, I think, yeah, that will be his legacy. But I think, you know, there was a kind dude who gave people a bunch of stuff and every, he spread the music as much as any single person in this community and made sure that, that everybody had a share in that. And that was the, you know, that was the ideology of the band at the time. And he spread that amongst. He, he amongst was the best the public relations guy the band ever had. Yeah, definitely. Besides you guys, I can't think of anybody else. Uh, we're not even in his league. Well, I think you're trying. <laughs> <laughs> you I know. mean, he's you know he's Mickey Mantle, you know. In that community, I think he's uh, I think he's Willie Mays. Even you know, yeah, I think he's he's uh, he's the goat. He's the Tom Brady. We're he's we're the... we're Kevin Moss. We're having a good rookie year. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I th- I think you're more than that, but I think that. He showed a lot of people the way and how to how to conduct themselves uh, in a community sense and care about not only the band, but the band's legacy and why people should love them and why you should spread music to other people. Simply stated. Yeah, he was not like a lot of people back then that would have stuff and not send it to you, but yet go on the boards and talk about how great it was, but nobody else could hear it. And uh, that's a real breath of fresh air uh, because those boards back then, man, I tell people all the time why does it when people say negative stuff about you on twitter why doesn't it bother you i go you were never on a black crows board in the late 90s yeah if you're unfamiliar with the black crows boards don't be afraid to go on that a3 because they're as negative as you can possibly be (laughs) yeah yeah you gotta have the spirit of shittiness alive over there you gotta you gotta have a thick skin yeah twitter twitter has nothing on the uh the black crows boards well steve we want we did want to have you on because you're one of the uh, more knowledgeable um, Black Crow shows guys, and and we know you're a big time taper and collector, and you've always spoke highly of Boa. Well, I think all of us owe him uh, an incredible debt of gratitude, and I think that none of us would have access to the majority of the shows without, you know, his fingerprints or his involvement with tapers or any of those things. Without him, that stuff would never have gone on.
All right, everybody. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this tribute to Boa that we've done. And before we close things out, we just want to play a track that uh, we know Boa would uh, just really love to hear. From what we understand, he was a big, big fan of my morning song, particularly the ones that get jammed out. So we're going to close things out here with a live version of my morning song. So enjoy this track. And thank you, Boa. And rest in peace.
Thank you very much.